0: So there's this poem we just read in Isaiah 52, where Jerusalem, the city of God, has just been uh, demolished by Babylon. That's the context. And, and so many from the city were exiled, cast out, but some still remained trapped there within its walls. And, and so in this poem, and on the city walls, uh, there's this watchman, and he looks up. And he sees on the mountain, off in the distance, this messenger running towards the city, shouting good news. And so this messenger comes to this devastated city with a message of peace and happiness and salvation, saying, your God still reigns. And as you continue to read like we did, you learn that this messenger, he's bringing uh, this message is that despite the loss they just witnessed. Their king is ultimately still victorious and he's returning to comfort his people and redeem his city. And so this messenger, he's running ahead of his king to announce the good news that despite the brokenness around them, that God is victorious and is coming and is on his way to reclaim his people and his kingdom. And so this is the good news. And it's this phrase good news in Isaiah that's translated into the Greek as euangelion and it's often brought into English as the gospel. And really that's because that's exactly what this message is, the gospel of the kingdom and of God and and so I love verse 7 in this poem how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Because this messenger's feet are beautiful because of the beautiful message that they carry. And so we're in our series on the elements of renewal this morning. And, and the first week, Ebna reminded us of how desperately we need it and how, in many ways, we are like those people living in this destroyed city or living as exiles outside of our true home. And so last week I talked to us about justification, this idea of how we can become a part of God's kingdom and his people and and how God does all the work to make that so. And so he fought and won the battle and is victorious so that it's by faith alone in his works on our behalf that we can be declared righteous and be considered a part of his people and his family. And it was my hope last week to make clear to you that there's nothing that we have to do to earn salvation, but that there are things we're called and commanded to do once we have it. And so we concluded last week that true faith is justification with works. And so I'm grateful today that I get to follow up on that and to spend our time today talking about what it means to live on the other side of this equation and to show you what exactly it means to live out of a justified life. So adoption into the family is free, but as part of the family, you have to adopt the family business. And so the element of renewal we're looking at this morning is what it means to have an orientation towards that mission, towards the family business. And so the first thing I want to do is to show you what God's mission has always been and then what role he calls for us to play. And hopefully as I do, we'll be able to see more clearly how we can be on mission together as his people. And so to do that, uh, we start right away in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates a good world. Most of us are familiar with this story And so in that world, he creates this mountain garden called Delight. And in it, he places two humans, male and female, to be his representative rulers over all that he's made to subdue and expand that garden kingdom across the world. And of course, what happens instead is this spiritual and physical rebellion where this serpent figure and humanity reject God's commission and attempt to build a kingdom of their own. And for those who don't know yet, or may have forgotten, whenever we do that, it does not go well. And so instead of the delight of this garden being what spreads around the world, sin and its weapons of death and corruption begin to devastate everything they touch. And so that's the story of the Bible until we get to Abraham, where again God calls not Adam, but Abraham to that same mission but this time God makes a covenant with man. And in that he promises that he will subdue the earth and that he will have a kingdom and a people made up of many nations in the land that he promises, but it will begin with this man, Abraham. And so we spent some time there last week and we looked at Genesis 17 where we find the promise that God will be their God that they will be his people in the land of promise forever. And so we find then that the rest of the Bible is God's campaign and mission to accomplish that plan. And it's the mission of renewal. And so really it's the same mission that's always been there, the expansion of God's good kingdom that began in the garden that will one day spread across the whole world. And so last week we saw that God promises Abraham that he would have a place in that kingdom and that God would be a father to him and to this future people. And Abraham believed in that promise and his faith brought him into the family and that relationship with God. And we saw that Abraham was justified by faith alone. But then we also saw that not only was Abraham brought into God's kingdom family, but that he was also brought into the same mission. And so that Abraham was required then to go where God called him to go and to trust and obey God as the king that he is. And so that's what James talks about when he he talks about a faith that's living and active. And so we see now that God's mission from the beginning was to dwell with his people like he did in the garden and then to have that kingdom expand across all the earth to all nations so that he would be their God and we would be his people forever. And so by faith in God's promises, we're adopted into his family, but that means that we're also called to take part in the family business of renewal. And so in our efforts this morning to be oriented towards that mission, the first thing I want us to remember and take away is that as adopted members of God's family, we're called to the family business. Right, As adopted members of God's family, we're called to adopt the family business. And so this morning I want to look at what it means to be on mission by looking at two, there's certainly more, but two pictures of, of God's mission and what it means to be his messengers and his ambassadors for his gospel kingdom. And so the first picture I want us to see is our call to be like the messenger in Isaiah 52. See, just like it was for Israel then, the destruction and the exile we live in now is a consequence of our sin. So our rejection and rebellion against God's good kingdom brought on the realities of the death and brokenness that we experience by the hands of the kingdoms of man. But despite the darkness, God gives us messengers and his prophets and his apostles and his word to bring his message of salvation to us. So that now, with that message in hand, he sends us, you and I, out to bring it to those who do not know or have not heard that our God still reigns. And so if you feel like your life is like that city laid to ruin, can I be that messenger for you this morning? That, listen, despite how it may seem, God is still king. And even though our enemies have some victories, and in many ways have torn us down, God is coming to be your comfort. And in fact, because of his works, you can go to him for that now. But more, he's strong enough to give you whatever is needed, whatever you're battling, he'll give you victory because of his promises and his victory over sin. Not only are you not alone because of that, but eventually you'll have victory because he had victory whether it's in this life or in the future kingdom, but victory is yours because it's his. And for many of us in this room who have seen that victory and the power of his redemption and renewal in our lives, I invite you now to meditate back on the times you've experienced that yourself and to use that as a motivation, but also as a challenge then to bring that message of victory to those who haven't experienced it yet. You know, I've I've shared some of my story uh, before, um, but I didn't exactly grow up in the best home. And so there was a lot of anger in my house. And so there was a lot of fear and anger in me. But somewhere in my middle school or high school years, God brought someone into my life who was patient with me and was kind to me and who helped me to understand that despite the rubble I was living in, God had waged a war and went on a campaign to rescue me out of that darkness and to bring me into his kingdom family. And can we just let that sink in for a moment? Like that's not a metaphor. God sent his son into enemy territory where he was captured and tortured and died as a prisoner so that you and I could be free. And then he tells us that that's what love looks like. And so I can show you generations of men in my family of origin and I can point to the adult lives of those that I was hanging around in my youth and I can confidently say that if it weren't for someone taking seriously their call to be a messenger of God's kingdom to me, I would not be in this position today. It's surprising enough that I'm here, let alone behind a pulpit. And so I've joked recently with some of you who knew me in the past, but I'm not the only one who's surprised I'm here. But this is what love looks like. And here I am. And it's only because someone loved me enough to bring the message to me when I was the worst version of myself. And I'm here because God was willing to die for me when I was still his enemy, and that's love. And the response he asks is that we share that message of love with others so that they can experience it too. So what about you? Whose feet did God use in your life? Who took their role seriously and loved you enough to carry this message to you? And more, how have you been a messenger to others? Who have you loved enough to carry this message over whatever mountain or obstacle was there and enter into the mess and rubble of someone else's life to run with endurance, with perseverance, with patience, love and kindness to give them that which you've received? Or what excuse do you use that prevents you from being the messenger you're called to be? Who have you chosen to withhold this message from and why on earth would we do that? So certainly God is the one who saves, but he calls for us to be his messengers. And so this morning, have you heard the message of his gospel kingdom? And if you have, have you taken up your call to be a messenger of that good news? And so that's picture number one, that being oriented towards the mission means being messengers for God. So for those who are in God's family, we're called to take the message of God's kingdom to those around us, but more we're also called to settle in whatever land we're in, not as regular citizens, but as his ambassadors. And that's our second depiction of our mission found in Second Corinthians chapter five, that being oriented towards mission means not just being messengers, but being ambassadors of God and his kingdom. And so here in chapter five, the apostle Paul begins by comparing our mortal bodies to a dwelling place. And he reminds us that even if these bodies are broken down, we know that they'll be built back up as Christ was and and promises to do for us and that he gives us his spirit as the guarantee. And so then he calls us to walk in faith, trusting God to do what he's promised like he always does. And and so then we, uh, with this courage in mind, he writes in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but, we are, uh, but what we are is known to God and I hope it's known also to, to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right minds, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So so Paul starts this chapter telling us to walk in faith with courage knowing that our bodies are broken and will break. But because we are God's people, we also know that he's preparing something greater. And so he says, therefore, in light of this message, we should be persuading others we have good news. We should be sharing that with others, being his messengers. And he goes on to say that if we're besides ourselves, like if we're crazy, we're crazy for God. But if we're in our right minds, man, then this message is for you. And then he says this, for the love of God controls us. So the Greek word here is really cool. It means to be compelled. Some translations will say it has many uses, but basically it means that there's nothing left to do. Like there's no other option. We're pressed on every side. And so what Paul is saying here is that if we believe that Christ is who he says he is and has done what he's claimed to do, what else could we possibly be doing other than trying to tell everyone else about him? And why? Because we've received the best message one could, that one has died for all so that all could live So then what other response is there than to live this new life for the one who's gave it to us? And so right here, I wanna stop again and ask, is that how we're living? Like with what fervor, how compelled do you feel to share Christ's message of free grace with others? And depending on your answer, maybe there's some serious reflection that has to go on there. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with another pastor friend of mine, and, and we both were talking about just how even we can feel ill equipped sometimes and, and how uncomfortable it can feel sometimes in trying to share Christ with others. And, and so, listen, I get it. I'm, I'm one of your pastors, and sometimes even I get weird about it. But listen, we have to get over ourselves. Because we're going to seem weird to people when we tell them that we believe in one God that exists in three persons. That's weird. And people will look at us funny when we tell them that we believe in a literal resurrection of the dead for all people. Those outside the faith think that's weird. Yet here we are. And we live in a country in a time that's increasingly hostile towards God because in order to understand why his gospel is so good, it requires that we accept that we are not. And who wants to do that? Because we love thinking that we're right and everyone else is the problem. But listen, that's the same line of thinking that we often use as the excuse not to be the messengers or pastors that we're called to be. And so we come up with reasons why it's not the right time or it's the wrong environment or it's an inappropriate thing to do, but that's never true. And so it's so much more likely that we're just scared of being rejected or thought less of. And that's always selfish and certainly not God honoring when we refuse to proclaim his name in an attempt to protect protect our own. So every time we do that, which we all do, it just makes us like Peter when he denied Christ. But if our calling is to be God's messengers and his ambassadors, it means that it's our occupation and our responsibility and our honor to constantly be sharing his word and living as his representatives. And that means that everyone who meets us should know what we believe and who we represent. So the question then is how do we do that? And so we pick up in verse 16. Paul says, this is how you do it. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is what Paul says it means to live for Christ. He says first that we no longer judge people based upon the flesh. Paul himself did that at one time. He judged Christ by the flesh and thought him a heretic. And so he held the cult of the men who murdered his follower, Stephen. But no longer do we judge people by the flesh. And here's what he's saying. For us, there are only two kinds of people, those spiritually dead and those alive and in the family kingdom of God. That's it. And for those inside the family, we see them then as Christ sees us as brothers and friends. So we love them that way. And for those outside the family, we see them in the state that they're in and we have compassion on them and we seek and desire to be Christ to them as his ambassadors, bringing his message to them and earnestly seeking to invite, persuade, and beg if we have to that they would be reconciled to God. And this is what got me this week. That God doesn't need to reconcile to us He did nothing wrong. We should be reconciling to him, but instead he did everything necessary for us to be reconciled to him. And then he gives us as his people this message of reconciliation and it's an appeal. And it's an urgent request, come to me. There's nothing I hold against you. Despite how much you've hurt me, and rejected my law and refused my kingdom, if you would only come to me, I would be a father to you and I would bring you comfort and I would give you rest, but you have to come to me. And so if you're here this morning and your life feels like that city that was laid to ruin, despite who or whatever's broken you down, Christ is king and he still reigns and he's coming to bring comfort and rest and peace to any who will accept it. Will you accept it? And Paul's writing this letter to these people that he loves, that on behalf of Christ, he implores them to be reconciled to God who made a way to not just be forgiven, but brought into this family relationship with him. Not just declared righteous and forgiven, but brought into a relationship with the God of the universe who loves them enough to live a perfect life that only he could to then give it to pay for all our imperfections so that you don't have to. And so, this, so in this passage we have a picture of our God not just sitting on some throne far off but desperately begging for people to come to him that they may be forgiven and loved and set free. But he makes that appeal through us. And so do you feel the passion and burden expressed in this text? It's for you. But it's also for those who don't know him yet. And, and, and he says God's plan is that you and I would share in that burden and make his appeal to the world. So this morning, do you feel that burden? And if so, does your life reflect it? And if not, what's your excuse? Man, mine always falls short. You know, I didn't know that I was preaching until the middle of the week, let alone what I was gonna preach on. And that's probably not a super relatable situation for most of you, but at the same time, it's just like any surprise responsibility that a room full of people will actively be affected by and God might judge you for. But as I was preparing for today, uh, as I was working on this on Friday and I had quite a bit of distractions and uh, that was super frustrating. But towards the end of the day, I got a call from a woman who I hadn't heard from since pre-COVID times. And every time she calls, you know she needs something, and it's probably very urgent for her. And so I did what any good pastor would, and I ignored the call. (laughs) Uh, But then I listened to her voicemail. And with distress in her voice, she tells me that she's supposed to be moving out of her government subsidized apartment and into another, but she's supposed to be out that Saturday, yesterday. And so I find out that the person who was supposed to help her move had a heart attack. And so knowing her situation and knowing that she called me after years of silence, you know that there's actually no one else so this is already a super frustrating and anxious week for me. I told you I had these like spur of the moment stuff going on, normal human experience, life stuff. And now I have this dilemma of this woman's need and what am I supposed to do? So there's nothing in me that wants to help a woman move in the rain. And at the same time, everything in me does. I also have a wife that I didn't get to see all week while I was working. And I'm also just exhausted. And so in that moment, I took a breath and I talked to my wife and I reached out to some others to see if they could lend a hand. I don't know if they're able to, but I knew what I could do is get money together so that she could rent a U-Haul for the day. And so around 5, 5.30, I stopped my preparation here and I went to the ATM and I went to her apartment to drop off the money as quickly as I could so I could get back home. And, and then when I got there, This woman gives me a hug and she starts crying. And she tells me how hard it's been and how broken she feels. And then this woman who's mostly a stranger to me and is often frustrating, tells me that she loves me and is grateful for how good I've been to her over the years. And I wish this could be a brag about how wonderful I am, but instead it's a confession because there's no way I would have helped this woman if it weren't for Christ in me. And there's no way I would have been generous to a stranger if Christ as a stranger first wasn't generous to me. And so in that moment before the hug, I only saw her as an inconvenience, but what she saw was someone who loved her and cared for her. And so listen, she didn't see me, she saw him. She saw Christ and his love in me where I had none of my own. And so, what does it look like to be a messenger and ambassador for Christ? It's really messy. You're stepping the rubble and debris of broken lives, it's pretty inconvenient. Sacrifice, service without expectation, mercy and compassion towards those who can't return it is exhausting but it's who he is and it's what he's done for us. And so it's the message he's entrusted to us. His mission to reconcile the world to himself and create a people who love each other and the world the way that he loves his people and his world. And through us, his plan is to beg the world to come to him. That's the family business and the mission that he makes his appeal, and he implores for people to come to him. So will you give your life to that mission the way that he's given your life, his life for you? And listen, it doesn't always have to be in extravagant ways, in fact, it rarely is. But we can be on mission in the mundane of the day today. It's finding out that someone has a need and filling it if you can. It's sharing with your coworker how much God has done for you and is willing to do for them. It's giving a listening ear to someone who needs it. It's simple ways of serving the community around you as representatives of His family in our local context or in our greater context. Listen, we shared in our announcements, just in October, we have opportunity after opportunity for you to be an ambassador of God's kingdom here in the Northeast. Because of the rain, yesterday's movie night was moved to next Saturday, so it's not too late to sign up as a volunteer to hand out popcorn or water or just give a smile and a hello to somebody who's just looking for something for their family to do. We have the harvest fair the following weekend with third, where we just get to share a time and an opportunity and serve the families around us. We have trunk or treat at the end of the month where we can just dress up in silly costumes and decorate our car and just bring joy and give candy to people who may not have an opportunity to do that elsewhere. It doesn't have to be in large ways. It can be in the day to day. Being messengers and ambassadors doesn't always mean running over mountains or dying as martyrs, but it does mean living like Christ because he died for you. Christ in his life served in profound ways that we'll never be able to repeat. But he also did simple things like listening to those who are outcast, feeding those who are hungry, showing love and compassion to those who are otherwise rejected. And we can certainly do that. So we were adopted freely into God's family, but as adopted members of God's family, we're called to the mission and the family business of reconciliation and renewal, which means being messengers and ambassadors of his kingdom family. Would we take on that role as earnestly as he has for us? Let's pray.